What's cracking, big dogs? It is Sunday, which begs the question, why are you yelling? Why are you yelling? As I said last week, I don't put out content on Sundays. So all of the things that I appear on, podcasts, YouTubes, whatever, for other people's podcasts and YouTube channels, I will be posting to my stuff, right? Kill two birds with one stone. One pod with one mic, baby. Two pods with one mic. I don't know what the fucking correct saying is. I'm sorry. Today's podcast will be an appearance that I had on Fade the Chalk. So you may or may not have heard of the new company that Mr. Brad Evans, formerly of Yahoo, started up. It is called Fade the Noise. And within Fade the Noise, they have different departments, betting, some fantasy stuff, and good friend of the channel, Mr. Adam Pfeiffer, who works for Fade the Noise, is co-host of Fade the Chalk, along with Derek Brown, that is at A-P-F-E-I-F-E-R 24. I will link his Twitter as well as Derek's in the show notes. This podcast I appear on. Make sure that you are subscribed to their podcast as well. They go into everything fantasy. It is a few times a week. So if you want that syringe of fantasy content filling up your veins, this is another fantastic way to do so. We'll be linked in the show notes. We talk about our favorite, favorite draft picks getting drafted in round nine or later. So the legitimate sleepers we're talking about picks 96 to 296 position by position we start off with the quarterback we head through the wide receiver the running backs and the tight end so if you're on the later the former part of your draft this episode will be invaluable to y'all so some of my favorite picks some of adam's favorite picks will be kicked into your ear hole within the next hour hour and a half i'm not sure how long the audio file is but again if you enjoyed the podcast make sure you are subscribed to one this podcast the big dogs gotta eat but more importantly fade the chalk all of this stuff will be linked in the description. I love y'all and enjoy. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Fade the Chalk. It is Thursday, August 20th. Adam Pfeiffer here. Derek Brown is out today. He is dealing with a little bit of an illness. Hopefully he gets better soon. But I promised that I wouldn't be doing this podcast alone because I'd be talking for 45 minutes just rambling. Really happy to bring on one of my one of my good buddies in the industry, Nicholas Ercolano from BDGE. If you're not checking out his YouTube channel, you're well behind the eight ball. Follow him on Twitter at Nick underscore BDGE. Nick does a ton of great stuff in terms of video, audio, all fantasy football content. Nick, what's going on, man? Glad to glad to be back talking to you again. And uh, we are we are in the thick of it right now. It's August. We got dudes getting hurt at camp, and it's time to uh, time to get ready to to grind. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, uh, my feelings are a little bit hurt that you didn't mention I was a, a, a meme creator because at this point, that's how I identify <laughs> my myself. Sometimes, sometimes I spend more, more of my day uh, making memes, really bad ones that I don't actually tweet out, but uh, that is where a lot of my energy goes these and days. And I should apologize because like in social media, memes are so important. So you're doing, you're doing the work that, you know, a lot of people really, 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 really depend on. So we appreciate it. Yeah, I don't understand why brands like as a whole see memes and like when you're on Instagram or Twitter, they're like the most popular things that go around. So mm -hmm. why is that not a, a focus of the content that you're creating, right? Like why content creation doesn't have to be in a box of, of podcasting or video. I'll, I'll stop talking now because honestly, I, I'll go on a rant about <laughs> memes for like 25 minutes, but I'm happy to be here. Hopefully uh, your audience uh, can throw me into the, the three hole there behind yourself and Derek and, and like me a little bit because I'm, I'm ready to... Uh, bring a little bit of the noise i know we're fading noise but i, I can get out <laughs> over here yeah um today on today's episode we're going to talk about some some of our favorite targets in drafts from round nine and later 
One of the reasons I, I did round nine is because Marvin Jones is going in round eight, and let's be honest, nobody wants to hear me talk about him anymore. Um, <laughs> so yeah, round nine and later, we'll talk about that. Uh, and, you know, it could change very soon. We're seeing the last three or four days, not just, you know, role players, you know, depth guys, but legitimate big-time contributors in fantasy are dealing with injuries. So that could shift ADPs as we get really close to draft season. Uh, but Nick, before we get started, talk about your channel because I'm, you know, as, as I've told you before, I'm a big fan of it. I enjoy your content. Talk about what you're doing and uh, yeah, and where people can uh, check it out. Yeah, I mean, my YouTube channel is just my name. It's Nick uh, Ercolano, and on there we put out a lot of fantasy football videos. I know it's a kind of a, a weird dichotomy to most people because they're used to reading blogs or listening to a podcast just like this one. But I've always, you know, kind of felt more comfortable on video. So I started uploading channels to YouTube uh, or videos to YouTube a, a while ago. And that has been my my main form of communication. So we're always putting out fantasy videos uh, similar to what you'll hear in podcasts. We do a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. We'll we'll vlog what's going on with the brand and the YouTube channel and everything like that. So we have a lot of fun. And uh, at the end of the day, we, we try to create videos on youtube so if you find yourself in a rabbit hole on youtube you can pop over and uh and check us out yeah love your guys stuff obviously um you know we've done we've done a lot of podcasts and stuff together in the past so yeah i i, I encourage everybody to go check it out not only is it great content in terms of you know the the analytical and analysis and all that stuff but it's it's just entertaining as hell so check that out um and of course also check out everything at ftn we're we're getting really close to football season um Derek, Derek just uh, launched his coaching series of the the Rams, and it was really, really good in-depth piece about how often they went 12 personnel, 11 personnel at different portions of the season. I think that's like, I think that's one of like the five or six biggest storylines heading into this year. Uh, Nick is like this this Rams offensive philosophy heading into 2020. So um, maybe we'll talk about some Rams later, but make sure you're checking that out and all the great content at FTN. Fantasy, FTN Daily, and FTN Bets. All right, Nick, let's start with the quarterback position. After round eight, so round nine and later, I mean, there's definitely going to be a lot of guys. Position's always so deep. Who do you got? Okay, so I I thought about this, and I wasn't sure if we are going to cover quarterbacks because most of the leagues that I play in are, well, exclusively super flex leagues. So I I only play two quarterback leagues, which means any of the quarterbacks available in round nine, or later are typically the ones at like the end of the draft. So I'd, I'd probably rather touch on those if you don't mind, as opposed to like just telling everybody, oh, just don't take a quarterback and then take like Carson yeah. Wentz in round nine or something like that. So a couple guys that I really, really like at the end of drafts are Gardner Minshew and Derek Carr. Now I'll start with the latter, I guess. I'm not really sure why my mind is working this way, but we're going to work backwards here. Derek Carr, the way I look at the setup for Derek Carr is he is – He's not someone that I've ever gotten excited about for fantasy until this year because I always thought there was a couple missing pieces in his situation or the fantasy outlook for him in that particular year. But this year, he just seems like such a sum of his parts type player. And when you look back at like what he did last year, one, he was number eight in the NFL in passing yards. So he has a floor that I think a lot of people uh, are not recognizing okay so you have him being a little bit better statistically than a lot of people give him credit for he's also been a really really accurate deep thrower but he gets a bad rap because he doesn't throw it deep often and that's okay because you start to look at the other pieces here they have a really really good ground game in Josh Jacobs his protection rate 
last year per playerprofiler.com, was number one amongst quarterbacks. Speaks to the bigger picture. They have a very, very good underrated offensive line, okay? So we have Derek Carr being a little bit better statistically than most people remember. We have a really solid ground game. We have a, a really solid offensive line. And now we add the pieces into the cocktail here, right? We had Darren Waller last year who had an absolute explosion, and I love him going into this year, although people are starting to fade him because he was just too good for some reason last year. Darren Waller, we had Henry Ruggs, we had Brian Edwards, we had Lynn Bowden. Before you know it, like his number one weapon last year of Tyrell Williams or Hunter Renfro becomes the two or three in this offense. And that's how you start to build uh, a fantasy situation that has a much higher ceiling and a much higher floor than people are really putting context behind. So you have the weapons, the offensive line, the the ground game, and then you have Derek Carr, who is wildly accurate last year. The only quarterback last year that was more accurate than Derek Carr was, was Drew Brees. And obviously that comes at the cost of like average depth of throw and throwing the ball downfield. But play action completion percentage, true completion percentage, uh, when the pocket was clean, just overall accuracy rating, Derek Carr was top five in all of those statistics. So you bring in a guy where, yes, Derek Carr might not need to throw the ball downfield much, but that's why you have a guy like Henry Ruggs, who will work around the line of scrimmage. A lot of people look at him as like a Deshaun Jackson type player. That's not who he is. You give him a slant and let him take mm-hmm. it to the house. So a lot of the the plays that they're going to design for Ruggs are going to be around the line of scrimmage where Derek Carr is wildly accurate. Give him that ball. Let those guys make the plays in their hands with the ball in their hands. Same thing with Darren Waller. Now Josh Jacobs getting more involved in the passing game. Super elusive out of the backfield. Like I just think that there you can't poke a hole in why Derek Carr is going to be bad this year except for people like subjectively being like well he's just a bad quarterback that's that's kind of my argument for Carr. yeah and with how they constructed their their pass catching group i mean it's henry ruggs who can separate get separation hunter renfro in the slot created a ton of separation last year that's mm-hmm. important for De- Derek carr he doesn't force throws he had one of the lowest percentage of uh tight window throws in the nfl last year uh, I you know I haven't thought about Derek Carr as like a late round quarterback for fantasy just because there's other guys that prefer more that you know that might run a little bit, but at the, at the same time like I feel like every day we're seeing reports from the Raiders about this player being great and expected to have a big year and, and so on and so forth like not that all that's going to come true but if these guys you know if these guys do all play well I mean Derek Carr is going to benefit from that so. Um, yeah, I think Carr's a lot more interesting than I might have thought at first. Yeah, and this is, again, looking at it from, like, a super flex vantage point. So I'm not taking, like, if you know, if you're in a one-quarterback league, Derek Carr is probably, like, my quarterback 19 or 20. So you're not throwing him in to be the starter. But when you start fading quarterback and super flex, like, you have to, this is why I like that league format so much, because it actually makes you, you know, analyze more than just the running backs or more than mm-hmm. just the wide receivers. You really need to know the quarterbacks and why a guy who's quarterback 20 might have that top 10 upside. You also look at like, dude, like historically, we always see offenses typically struggle in their first year with a new coordinator and their second year. We see that step up like we've seen it with Kyle Shanahan in multiple offenses. We've just this is just a historical trend. Gruden in the first year, everything took a big jump up last year and from the first to the second year passing yards per game rushing yards per game yards per attempt uh, points per game yards per game over like every offensive stat- uh, statistical category took a really big jump up um from year one to year two and i'm expecting that to carry over into year three and again like i don't i don't see almost any holes that you could poke in this oakland offense for them to far far uh outproduce the expectations that people are putting putting onto them this year I'm going to go with Gardner Minshew. Um, he was my number two. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like most people, like in the beginning of the season, or I guess off season, 
you know, there was some appeal to Gardner Minshew, but I also was waiting. I thought there was a decent possibility that Jacksonville could have traded up for someone like Tua. Um, but at least for this year, Minshew is their guy, and I expect Jacksonville to be one of the five worst teams in the NFL. Um, I expect a ton of passing. Minshew, you, you know what he gives you with his legs. I mean, first nine weeks of the season last year, he was 10th in Monk quarterbacks in fantasy points, 11th in fantasy points per drop back. In that nine-week span, he was sixth among all quarterbacks in rushing attempts and fifth in rushing yards. That That's just huge in itself. 49 scrambles led all quarterbacks. Like, it's not just like... Like, I think sometimes we think that to be a running quarterback, like, you, your offense needs to be running plays for, designed for you. But, like, I almost would rather have it be the opposite. Like, I want I want my quarterback to be able to take off and if he doesn't see something open. And, and Minshew is going to do that. I think DJ Shark is just a stud. So he's got a stud number one receiver. They added Chris Thompson, who, you know, if he's healthy, is going to be, I think, more efficient than Fournette as a pass-catching back. I love the Visca Chanel. I'll probably be talking about him later. Um, like, remember Blake Bortles in 2015 when Jacksonville was super, super terrible? Um, mm-hmm. He had so much garbage time. He had 606 pass attempts, and he also ran for 300 yards. He's not going to have the, the fantasy season I don't think Bortles had. I think he was like a top-five quarterback that year. It was crazy. Um, but I could see like similar type of volume. Like I, I would not be surprised if if Minshew was like top seven in pass attempts this year. Um, so I, I love getting him in two quarterback leagues. Love getting him as um, you know in really deep leagues. If I need him, at, like I, I would be fine with Minshew in, in a super deep league as my starter. And um, I think the the added weapons are going to be definitely helpful. So I'm I'm pretty much all in on Gardner Minshew. Yeah, he'll be my QB3 in probably, like, every Superflex league I'm in. I, th- I think, like, I, people are trying too hard to make this something that it's not. If you look at what he did last year, a six-round quarterback comes out and goes 21-6, to touchdown-to-interception ratio. That is, like, an incredible mm-hmm. rookie year by any standard. And then, as you said, he adds a 344 yards on the ground. And I was looking back at some numbers. I was like, oh, he had 344 yards, didn't score any rushing touchdowns. Like, that... Yeah. that in itself is a weird anomaly in so a year I, where Fournette also didn't score rushing touchdowns yeah you know what I mean so it's like th- this was just like shot goal line offensive scheme and they have Jay Gruden coming in as OC who I really really like for the passing offense his 344 rushing yards last year ranked fifth among quarterbacks and if you look at the four guys ahead of him one they all played in more games than he did but two if you look at their touchdown numbers, it was seven touchdowns, four, nine, and seven. So you're talking about a guy who has the same amount of like rushing volume that those guys did, but they all scored at least four rushing touchdowns. And I think he's a guy who's going to have to utilize his rushing skill set again this year, and that's what makes him like such a fun late quarterback play because you're not, you know, there's going to be holes with guys who are six-round picks as quarterback, right? There's a reason they go that late. It's probably because there's accuracy issues or this or that or the other thing. Those rushing numbers like basically wipe those concerns out when it comes to fantasy and like you said you know you said you'd be you you wouldn't be surprised if he finished top seven like I would be more surprised if he finished outside the top seven because this team is going to do nothing but throw the ball Uh, an improvement in the weapons I do like the fact that Chris Thompson comes over even if he's on the field for eight games I think those are eight effective games for him and I'm I'm also in love with LaVisca Chanel as like a a line of scrimmage guy that combats you know DJ Chark's kind of long deep style of play uh, almost like AJ Green-esque and LaVisca I think is like the perfect complement to that yeah and they just keep losing guys on the defensive end. I mean, the last couple of years, they've lost, what, Ramsey, Boye, Calais Campbell, um, just not not just depth guys, again, just legitimate, massive pieces to their defense. So, yeah, I, I love Minshew. 
any other quarterbacks stand out to you? Uh, there's there's not many I'm going to be targeting late. I think like Tyrod makes sense in Dude, one quarterback. Nobody's league. talking about Tyrod. Yeah. I like I think he's I, I think he's going to start almost the whole year. Yeah, I really do. I I think there's just. We never ever see quarterbacks really sit behind, like first round, early pick quarterbacks sit yeah. behind the starter, unless they're on like an incredible team that actually gives them the leverage to make that happen. So I do think Justin Herbert sees the field this year. I I tend to kind of fade away from like risky players like that in superflex because you don't have the luxury of picking up a random guy off the waiver wire like all the quarterbacks are owned. So Tyrod in one quarterback makes a ton of sense going as like the 25th quarterback off the board in superflex. If he's my quarterback three, I'm okay with it because you could pair them too in superflex. You could. I, I don't know if I have the nuts to right. actually <laughs> Justin Herbert in a superflex league, but I'm a little bit nervous about him not actually starting the full. Uh, slate of games but yeah I mean he makes sense just for the same reason we mentioned with Minshew like Tyrod's gonna have 400 500 rushing yards because that's the player you know that's the player he is he's surrounded by like fantastic weapons so I think his floor is intact but I I don't think he has much of a ceiling all right let's go over to running backs um who stands out to you from round nine and later Uh, and again like with training camp reports every single day now this guy looks incredible I mean ADPs could easily change, so. Yeah, I I, uh, I love Matt Breda here in the ninth or 10th round. This dude is just barely 25 years old. I feel like we've been hearing about Breda and hearing the hype for a long time, so we assume he's like that 27, 28, like Raheem Mostert type of guy where he's probably at the end of his career. But they traded for him, and he's rather than just using that fifth-round pick on a running back like Eno Benjamin or someone who I would say is like just equally as talented, they decided to move a pick and bring him over to Miami where it's going to be this backfield split. Like I, I have, there's no shot that I see Breda taking like 70% of the work here. It's going to be between him and Jordan Howard, but it's so simple when you look at the situation, like would you rather have a guy who is running in between the twenties on a team that's going to be trailing a lot? That's not going to have a lot of goal line opportunities, or would you have the more explosive guy who can make his own fantasy points, who can catch a lot of passes, who's probably going to be on the field way more than Jordan Howard is because they're going to be trailing a lot. Just like the Jacksonville Jaguars, like Miami, where they have like a four and a half, five win total per Vegas, they're going to be trailing a lot as well, right? 66% of their plays were through the air last year. And I think like Matt Breida's skill set lends itself to having a really, really high ceiling type of reception year. I think like any sort of PPR leagues, Breda is going wildly uh, wildly undervalued and like we've seen it. he's he's awesome on the ground too he's he's almost like a little bit of Austin Eckler-ish right like he could do everything he's got crazy explosion the hell yeah, he might be the players. fastest player in the league outside of Tyreek Hill yeah yeah so there was a tweet that he was the highest speed ball carrier in each of the last two years 2018 mm-hmm. and 2019 per like NFL next gen stats or whatever so uh, he's he's also a very good running back. I'm not going to sit here and say like he's probably going to stay healthy for the 16 games because I have no idea if that's going to happen. But I think when you start to shove Breda into like a 20 carry role like they started to do in San Fran sometimes, that's how you end up with the high ankle sprains and shit. When you have Jordan Howard taking 14 carries that go for four yards up the middle, like the the concern for Breda is much, much lower because he's not getting hit with the lineman every single time. When you're catching passes as opposed to running up the middle, like you, you take a lot fewer big hits. So I like Breda's chances of staying healthy and I just like the situation even in a 50-50 timeshare he's going to have much more valuable touches in the Miami backfield yeah I like that call um, I'm going to go with somebody that's going coming off the board really close to him I would much rather just draft Tevin Coleman in the ninth or 10th round mm-hmm. than Raheem Mostert where he's going um, 
I know Mostert seems to be, you know, the one, but I think it's more of a 1A, 1B thing. We know Kyle Shanahan, first of all, he loves Tevin Coleman. Um, second of all, he's always used multiple backs. And, like, we like even after, I mean, everybody brings up the playoffs with Raheem Mostert. He had that big game, I think it was against Green Bay. And then, like, Tevin Coleman started the next game. Um, what was it? I think so it was, it was, you reversed that. Yeah, so yeah, Coleman. yeah. It's Coleman started that game. Right. He had a big game the week before. Yeah, he started yeah, the divisional yeah. playoffs, went 22 for 105, two tugs against Minnesota. The next week, Coleman started, got hurt, and that's when Mostert came in and right. blew up. Got you. Yeah, but Coleman's going to have a role, obviously, in his offense. Mostert is, you know, again, he there's a reason he's going before him. It looks like he is, you know, the 1A. But Tevin Coleman really is A, an injury away, and I don't like drafting guys for that, but again, it's not like Coleman's not playing uh, at all. And I just think, like, Mostert going in the, in the fifth, sixth round, I'll just take Tevin Coleman, who might see, like, I, the carry distribution is going to be very, very close, I think, unless Raheem Mostert just, you know, really somehow runs away with the job, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, so Coleman's a guy I like to get late because you could be looking at flex production from him, and again, if, if the, the 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 wrench in all this is Jarek McKinnon, who's yes. kind of been getting hyped up. Yeah, he he is. I don't want to say that he's what makes me nervous, but I'm with you. Like, there's no way I'm taking Moser in the fifth, sixth, probably even seventh roundish. Uh, Coleman, like Shanahan, wants Coleman so bad to be a thing. Like, no matter how bad anyone thinks he is. He's going to be a thing because Shanahan loves him. And it seemed like every time... We also have to remember Coleman dealt with a high ankle sprain last year himself, too. So he was probably at Farlet. We want to give that excuse to Saquon. We want to give it to Kamara. Like, you also have to be unbiased and say, maybe that's why Tevin Coleman didn't get as much run, or maybe that's why he was a little less effective. But, like, going back to that playoff run, you could see how they wanted to use Coleman. And anytime Mostert, I feel like, popped off, it was a product of, like, we have no choice but to use him. And, yeah, he showed great in those flashes, but... You're crazy if you think you're going to be able to predict. This is why, like, even if the end-of-season numbers tell you that San Fran's backfield is going to be, like, top five in fantasy points together, like, there's an opportunity cost to having to choose which games to start which of them. Like, sure, Tevin Coleman might pop off for 25, and then the next game, Mostert will pop off for 27. Like, that does you no good Mm because you're probably missing on those games. So I'm with you. I would definitely be taking Coleman over Mostert, but I'm getting more and more even away from the Coleman train to to – to the McKinnon hype, but I, I I don't know. This is just a messy backfield. I'm, I have no confidence in being able to choose the right players to start on a given week. Uh, another running back going relatively late that is on your radar. So you're going to like this one. And because I said that, you could probably figure out Zach Moss. who I'm talking about. Zach Moss, man. Yeah, I was going to actually talk about him next, so it's perfect. Yeah, it's good that I started off with some people don't think you're being biased on it. So <laughs> Zach Moss is I, – I can't understand how, like, Devin Singletary is going four or five. I mean, I get it, obviously, because he was, he was fun to watch last year. But all the signs are – everything we're hearing is exactly what we should expect, right? Zach Moss is going to play the Frank Gore role, which is 10 to 12 carries a game. However, like, you have to have the open possibility that Zach Moss at this point in his career is going to be way better than Frank Gore was last year. And instead of averaging – 3.4 or whatever Gore averaged last year, 
what if Zach Moss is at like 4.1, 4.2? And in that sense, he earns a little bit more of a role. And Zach Moss is arguably a better pass catcher than Devin Singletary, too. If you look back at his like his college days, he had a 29-catch season, a 28-catch season. Devin Singletary never had a season with uh, those kind of receiving numbers. And his numbers in the receiving game dipped as he went through college. So Singletary is a guy who... I think both of them are going to be like good in their own right. I, I would be like, as a Bills fan, I'd be super pumped to have both of them in my backfield. But I also think Moss is going to get a lot more of the valuable touches. Like on the goal line, it's going to be Moss and Josh Allen. And in the receiving game, I mean, Josh Allen doesn't really dump the ball off much. So Singletary, I'm like, I, I want to say that he's going to be the pass catching back there. And he's probably the better runner overall. But just for like a fantasy situation, I think Moss makes makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I'm so I'm not as like down on Singletary as a lot of other people. I know there's the, the report that Brandon Bean had like right after they drafted Zach Moss that he's going to have the Frank Gore role. I, I think what we need to find out is, is it the Frank Gore role before Singletary took over? Um, and I think it was week nine or is it the one before that where he was getting, you know, 14, 15 carries a game. Singletary was also hurt for a couple of those games during that, during that stretch too. Um, I, I tend to lean towards Singletary being, you know, 14, 15 carries, and then Moss getting, you know, five or six, seven. But like you said, probably if he's getting six or seven carries in a game, I would imagine half of them come inside the five-yard line. And, you know, because Frank Gore was so inefficient inside inside the five last year, that's why Josh Allen, I mean, it's not why he had so many touchdowns. Like, he can can easily do that again if he gets the opportunity. But, you know, if Zach Moss starts converting them, then Josh Allen's rushing touchdowns aren't going to be as high. So, yeah, I like getting Zach Moss. Um, you know, I, Singletary's a guy I'm not, like, going to a draft saying I have to leave with Devin Singletary. But if he falls to, like, the sixth round, I have no problem with him. And you can still get Zach Moss and pair him at the 11th round and, and just kind of see how that backfield plays out. I want to get your take on Boston Scott. Because Eagles running backs are all of a sudden really banged up. Miles Sanders is week to week. Boston Scott, I believe it said he was day to day, both dealing with lower body injuries. Um, I know you like Miles Sanders this year, but thoughts on Boston Scott as like a you know thirteenth, fourteenth round pick? Yeah, they still have I, yet to bring anybody in. Yeah, they they that is what's surprising to me, and I don't know if I actually believe that because we're you know we're tw- we're like twelve hours removed from the Miles Sanders injury, so we'll see if they bring in like a Devonta Freeman or you know someone along those lines. Uh, Boston Scott's just not a guy I'm going to be drafting in season long because he's probably the guy that you drop after week one or two. Though I, I think I, I think we could see. A scenario where both of them catch a lot of passes like I would imagine Miles Sanders and Boston Scott are going to be running a lot of snaps from the slot and when we look at that like explosion that Boston Scott had last year over the last month of the season in those games both of them were averaging near six targets a game obviously a lot of the pass catchers were hurt but Jeffrey's going into the pup he's probably going to start on the pup right so it's like when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You bring in Jalen Rager, and that's really the only like big, big move that they have in terms of weapons that we're all like, okay, they're making a 180-degree flip here. I, I think both of them could be very, very involved in, in a pass-catching role. I just like don't really want to depend on Boston Scott seeing five to six targets a game because I highly doubt he's seeing more than like three carries in a game. So he just seems to me like someone who was exciting for a really small sample size last year and might actually be a really good football player, but probably the first or second guy that you drop after like the first week of waivers when he has four touches, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, any other running backs stand up? Um, I, I really, really wanted to love Anthony McFarland, but we haven't heard like any reports about him running with the twos or, you know, I've, I've heard stuff about like Benny Snell. So I, I almost feel like my love for Anthony McFarland is going to end up in a similar similar situation as my love for Justin uh, Justice Hill was last year. Exciting, athletic, like you like the ambiguous ish backfield and you don't know where it's going to go. And you kind of want to just like insert the talent into there and just tell you it's going to happen. But that's that's the gut feeling I'm having right now. So there are not a lot of like late round running backs I really like. That's why I'm trying to probably target running backs uh, very very early. I, I would say like the the biggest thing would just be look at look at the riskiest early round running backs and ask yourself like why are they risky and then who is behind them. So like I don't I don't necessarily like Kenyon Drake much this year. I think there's a chance that Chase Edmonds eats into that role and becomes like a big thing. So Chase Ed- Edmonds is a guy that I like, but other than that, I think like getting running backs early is a lot. Uh, a lot more valuable this year because there's just, as always, just so much value at the wide receiver position later on. Let's go over to wide receiver. Uh, it's another really deep position. Um, you know, I find myself really, a lot of people don't like the like round nine range for receivers. And I, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I think there's a lot of potential. Yeah. For as much like talk as we've heard of like rookies not making an impact and you know even in this like covid year they're not going to get on the field i think there are like a lot of rookies that are going to surprise and put up some good statistics that being said i will start off with a rookie from last year that put up some big numbers and that was uh deontay johnson of the pittsburgh steelers so Deontay Johnson is a guy who's like this summer has been a little crazy for him because he started off as like a great value and everyone's like, oh, low key, like Deontay Johnson was so good last year. And then all of a sudden the hype got in front of like where the actual value was. And I saw him getting drafted in like the sixth round, the seventh round of best ball drafts. And I'm like, okay, like that's just absurd. And now it's moving back to the point where he's picked what 103 wide receiver 38, like end of the ninth round. I'm like, okay, I can get back on board for that because Deontay Johnson, I think uh, the reason he's he's. Uh, super value is because you look at the other um, rookie wide receivers from last year and they just absolutely overshadowed him, right? AJ Brown, McLaurin, Debo, DK, whatever. Uh, Johnson led the Steelers in targets, receptions, touchdowns, catches of 40 plus yards, catch rate, red zone targets, obviously fantasy points. And like everything he did as a rookie, I went back and I'll like, I'll, I'll save you guys all the, the, the study that I looked into, but his 59, 685 receiving line is amongst a really, really, really impressive 
group of wide receivers to produce at that level as a rookie. And then you add the circumstances. You add the circumstances, (laughs) right? He did that. He did that with like a really shitty. um, He did that with a really shitty quarterback situation. Juju was hurt, so I do expect Juju to be at much higher skill level this year, and him being the slot guy. But like, when you look at Deontay Johnson as a prospect, man, like Matt Harmon does reception perception, and Deontay Johnson absolutely went nuts in that. Right, seventy five percent success rate versus man coverage which was in the 88th percentile 75 percent versus press 81st percentile uh, one of the best rookies he's ever charted versus man and that's when we tend to look at like what makes a guy a really good receiver and those are the guys like the stefan Diggs, the john browns he has a lot of antonio brown to his game that's what i'll say i'm not gonna say he's gonna put up those statistics but wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing some plays that reminded us of antonio brown and um, Deontay Johnson was also their punt returner, took one back to the crib. And you love to see that kind of versatility and that athleticism because you know what that means when you have like a weird wide receiver group that's kind of questionable. We don't know, you know, James Washington, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. If you're versatile, you could play anywhere on the field. You could play the flanker, you could play the slot, you could play outside. And he was number one in target separation last year. I was number just going to bring that up. And a lot of people assume he yeah. played in the slot and he wasn't at all, which is no, really Juju impressive. Was, Juju was the slot guy and Deontay Johnson was a legit legit outside Mm -hmm. separator taking on man coverage press coverage and doing it at a level that we do not see many rookie wide receivers do it so if we can get a healthy big ben i'm really confident that deontay johnson will far and away like pull himself ahead of the the james washington's and the chase claypools and be a big time producer for pittsburgh in year two and how many times have we seen big ben support two receivers in fantasy and like and I know people are hype about the Steelers' defense. It's probably a top three unit on paper right now. They've still been pretty pass heavy, regardless of their defense over the years. Like I know they've they they've had some league average defenses the past couple of years. They've had some, you know, above average defenses. Like they're still going to be a team that I think relies on the pass as long as Big Ben's under center. So yeah, Deontay, especially if the hype you know continues to fall back down from where it was a couple months ago. Yeah, I, I definitely he's, have a, he's a player where a Twitter video is going to fuck this up for us really bad. <laughs> we get one one report of, like, Big Ben hits Deontay Johnson for a 70-yard touchdown, it's over. Like, his ADP's back into the seventh round. We get one slow-motion video of him catching a deep ball, and he we're walking a fine line right now. If we don't hear anything about Deontay Johnson, I would rather that happen than not, because he'll slowly keep, like, creeping down, and people will continue to take rookie-wide receivers like C.D. Lambs and, and Jerry Judy's as, as long as they keep getting hyped up over Deontay, and I'll take, I'll take Deontay all day. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go to Michael Hardman again, and this is interesting that we bring this up today because we got the report that Tyreek Hill suffered a hamstring injury, which is, you know, it's not it's not like it's not you know panic mode or anything, but you know a hamstring for a guy that's really relying on his explosiveness and speed, a little concerning. We haven't seen that the if it's serious or not, but you know, obviously, if he if he is injured for a decent amount of time that'll this will change me Hardman's draft status immensely but you know we were talking before we got on and I noticed I remember you know a couple months ago the Chiefs were talking about not having to um Michael Hardman on punt returns and kick returns and I thought okay that's great that means he's going to play way more on offense and could eventually maybe even be the number two receiver on this team then the athletic reported that they are going to have him as their primary kick and punt returner so that made me a little bit you know less excited but at the end of the day, I still love taking him in the 10th, 11th round. Uh, I think he's going to pass Demarcus Robinson as a number three receiver on this team. I just, I just, given how efficient and how explosive he was last year, I just don't know how you don't put him on the field more. Um, and again, like Tyree Kill, 
when Tyreek Hill was hurt in the first couple weeks of the season, he was at um, Hardman was around 65% of the snaps. That was you know around 40% for the entire year. Um, you know he's a guy that if he because he's so he's in such an efficient offense with the best quarterback in the league and he's and he has so many big plays in his arsenal. It's not like Michael Hardman has to in year two get nine eight targets a game. If he gets five a game, like he'll be worth having in fantasy. Maybe not worth starting every week. But I want a player like that on my bench, and I'd still be willing to to hold on to him on my bench. Um, and I just think he's too talented, and too explosive, not for the for the Chiefs not to continue to use him more in year number two. But it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens with with Tyreek Hill, um, you know, for the next couple hours. Yeah, this is what makes this this summer in particular so difficult without preseason games because we'd be able to decipher what Michael Harmon's role is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we're not hearing reports out of. Kansas City that Miko Hardman's running with the ones or if he's on the twos but if we can see starter snaps in preseason games we don't have to guess we could just be like no it's Miko Hardman and Tyree Kill out on the field like we know who the ones are and then we wouldn't have to play this guessing game but the fact that we're not seeing anything telling us that Miko is going to be the wide receiver too it's like yes of course talent wise he's above Demarcus Robinson and talent wise at this point he's probably above Sammy Watkins but you know that that's not always that's not the way we need to look at fantasy we have to decipher whether or not like that's going to translate to him being on the field more and you know it seems like the stat you brought up was good like when Tyreek Hill was out Michael Harmon started getting a lot more involved but that's all it seems to be it seems like he's a literally a handcuff right. for Tyreek Hill because when Hill got back it wasn't like Michael Harmon started taking snaps from Demarcus and Sammy if anything his snap percentage is starting to get pulled back and yeah that was, was so frustrating good. I remember yeah. every yeah. time I broke down the Chiefs for a game a game by game breakdown for fantasy and I would always say okay is Demarcus Robinson playing yep well Harden will probably be around 40 35 percent of the snaps yeah, his snaps was his snaps and routes run were always fourth among the receivers, and like they're all still there. They re-signed Demarcus Robinson. They shifted around Watkins's contract to make sure that he was still there. And now it seems like Evan Silva tweeted something out that that I thought was funny. That I was like, oh, this is kind of like perfect for this. I think he said last year there was 13 games where both Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins were active in, and Michael Hardman got a total. This is including playoffs. Michael Hardman got a total of like 19 targets in those 13 games. I'm like, yeah. That says a lot, and and until we hear something concrete other than like, oh, we want him to be on the field, I'm going to have to probably fade him until we see it. Yeah, I just think, you know, at at the moment, his ADP hasn't spiked or anything, and there's just so much upside there on the 11th round. Um, I also, actually, we'll save him because we might even actually, you might even actually bring him up, but other receivers going around this range that are interesting to you. So uh, there are a few. I also want to just touch on uh, Preston Williams for a second because I know mm-hmm. he's kind of a polarizing player. And the only reason I bring it up is because we talked about Michael Hardman being more on the kick return and punt return things. And uh, Preston Williams tore his ACL returning kicks last year. And right now the reporters are telling us that he is back on special teams returning kicks and punts again right now at practice. And I'm like, dude, we're less than a year. We're like yeah. seven, eight, nine months removed from him doing that and, and getting that that ACL tear and now he's back doing that again so I'm like very very weary of Preston Williams one being healthy for week one avoiding the pup list and um, being able to play on the field at an effective level so I just wanted to throw that in because I did see a, a tweet somewhere that he was back returning punts again which makes me very uh, very nervous for him other wide receivers I do like I saw a report today that Julian Edelman was actually banged up and he left the field frustrated after trying to play on like some kind of injury that he got so I'm I'm still kind of high on Nikhil Harry 
as someone that you're getting like the 13th, 14th round because his prospect profile was just like unblemished. The college production, the height adjusted, you know, athleticism, the speed score, the premier like X receiver build. And now he gets Cam Newton where if Julian Edelman is hurt or misses time, you know, we've seen this story been written before with Devin Funches and Cam Newton will funnel 115 targets into a guy that might not be the best receiver, but he's built the same way. And I would argue Nikhil Harry is like a thousand times better as an actual prospect than um, than Devin Funches. And I think one of the reasons that they drafted Nikhil Harry in the first place was his versatility. Like most people don't really know what kind of player Nikhil Harry was, but Nikhil Harry was a punt return specialist as well. This guy had a ton of screens run for him. He's really good with the ball in his hands, which is the opposite of Devin Funches. And you know, like the Patriots value versatility. They value being able to make those plays on the line of scrimmage. And I think Nikhil Harry like fits perfectly into the versatility of the Patriots offense. So I think he has a real chance to supplant Edelman as like the wide receiver one in terms of valuable targets on this field. And I like the combination of, of Cam and Harry here. Yeah, it's a really good call. Um, and, like, he could still be worth that pick even if Edelman's healthy. I mean, they just they mm-hmm. have nothing at tight end. They have Edelman, and then they have James White in the backfield. Like, that's it. Yeah. Um, I'm going back to Jacksonville. I love LaVisca Chenault so much this year. Um, I've been drafting him with, like, my last pick in every league. Um, I think he's pretty much going to cement himself as a number two right out the gate behind mm-hmm. Shark. Um, they've already talked about using him in the backfield and the slot out wide, just everywhere. I mean, he had 23 carries out of the backfield last year in college. Um, he's like a running back after the catch. I mean, he's just, he's huge. I mean, six one, two twenty seven. The injury concerns are a reason he slipped. Um, but I just think again, not to mention like if Leonard Fournette gets traded or they just kind of phase him out at some point of the year, like. Rykel Armstead is going to be this team's lead running back, but don't get me wrong. But we could see LaVisca Chenault get like four carries a game on top of whatever he gets in the receiving game. That's, I mean, that's Robert Woods. I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, guy that can legitimately get, you know, 150, 200 rushing yards. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't be shocked if Chenault hit that mark in year one. And then you add the fact that I just, again, think Jacksonville, and I think you agree with me, are going to be among the league leaders in pass attempts this year. Conley and D.D. Westbrook, I believe, are free agents next year. So I think they just use this season, if they're as bad as I think they're going to be, and see what they have in LaVisca Chanel and uh, obviously continue to develop D.J. Chark. Um, yeah, I'm 100% with you. I feel like I mean, with these targets are going to be there, and they have to go somewhere. And the only player that was getting targets around the line of scrimmage realistically last year was Leonard Fournette. And in terms of like where he ranked yards per target and yards per reception, he was so bad amongst the running backs. And I right. think LaVisca kind of, you know, heals that heals that with a bandaid right there. He's the guy who can make tons of plays on the line of scrimmage and be the guy who catches the screens and the short slants. And um, they, they're definitely, he's a player that they're going to design a lot of plays for. So I think, uh, I think that's a great call. When he got drafted, I, I, I pretty much I pretty much said I would not be shocked if he was the number one receiver among rookies in fantasy. Like I wouldn't be I, shocked at all. I, I like that call a lot, and I'll, I'll pivot to another rookie who I would not be shocked for to be the number one uh, rookie wide receiver in a in a number of statistical categories, and that is Michael Pittman Jr. over mm-hmm. in Indy. I really like this kid, Michael. Do Pittman you like Jr. him more than the Colts? Do I like him more than the Colts? Like. Do, do you like him more than the Colts like him? Because every video they oh, tweet not, or whatever is... Not possible. <laughs> no, certainly not a possible thing. Um, but they did tell us that they value him in their offense more than they value Jonathan Taylor for all you guys that are getting wet from slow motion videos where defenders can't tackle the uh, running back, but that's another podcast. Michael Pittman is a beast. And Michael Pittman gives his offense something that they 
just don't have and they haven't had for a while. And T.Y. Hilton is a guy like this is optimism at its finest. Like you want to talk about older receivers. You want to talk about guys who just keep getting injured. And T.Y. Hilton's already dealing with the hamstring injury. So, again, we've seen this story before. I don't know if T.Y. Hilton's going to be healthy for the year. I don't know if he's back to his full health, but he's getting older. And I think they drafted Michael Pittman to be the incumbent wide receiver one there. And I don't think they have anyone else to throw the ball to. Like, if people are getting excited about Paris Campbell in the slot, but, like, he already had his rookie year and didn't do much with it. And I'm not a big believer in Naeem Hines either. And Pittman gives this team, like, an actual red zone target, a red zone threat, a guy who I think can catch seven or eight touchdowns uh, this year immediately out of the gate because his role down there is going to be huge. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, finish in that like 70 to 80 target range. Just the fact that he gives this team a, a talent on the outside at 6'4", 223, runs a 4'5", 240-yard dash, right? Picked in like the, the second pick of the second round. They, they love, like you said, they love this kid. And I think he's going to be playing a role uh, like immediately out of the gate. He's seasoned four years in school. You don't, you don't pick a guy that that old right going to be 23 soon that you think you need to develop more you pick a guy that's four years in college because he's ready to make the transition immediately to the nfl yeah it's a great point i'm i'm really interested in the colts offense this year with with Pittman, with um with all the guys they have and then you add rivers because jacoby Brissett did not take shots down the field at all it was such a conservative offense and mm-hmm. you know rivers at this point of his career if you think he's washed or not that's that's up for discussion, but he he's going to be way more aggressive than than Jacoby Brissett. Let's close it out with some tight ends, and there's a lot of guys I like. I mean, tight end might be as deep as it's been in a long time. So, um, tight ends going, you know, round nine or later, round eight, yeah, round nine or later. Yeah. So, I am infatuated with getting Jared Cook in every one of my drafts. Really? I'm not even on the ADP list, I'm not even sure where he is right now. I might be cheating or I might be like way ahead of consensus on this. My my whole take on tight ends this year is to double down. I usually don't tell people to draft two of them, but that whole like tight end nine to 17 range has a lot of like really intriguing upside guys. But Jared Cook is, he's my, I, I'm, I've been doing a lot of best ball drafts on underdog and they just put out the, um, the ownership percentages like last week. And Jared Cook is by far and away my highest owned tight end because I don't know if like people realize just how good he was once Drew Brees got back from his injury last year. Like Jared Cook had multiple games over. He had like three of the final nine games over 20 fantasy points and had double digit fantasy points in eight of those nine games. Like he was legitimately a top two or three tight end there. And I think he dealt with an ankle injury going into the year and then Drew Brees got hurt. And then once Drew Brees got back, them two were clicking on like crazy, crazy cylinders, man. And I, I, I don't know. This is like a gut feeling. It's, you know, Jared Cook did his thing in uh, in Oakland and everyone was like, well, I'll never repeat that because he just got too much volume. He was the only weapon. Uh, and then he came over to New Orleans last year and was awesome over the second half of the year. And people are like, oh, well, he can't re- repeat that because he caught too many touchdowns or whatever. And I'm like, maybe Jared Cook is a little bit old, but also maybe he's like really good because he led the entire NFL in yards per reception. Like, sure, maybe that comes down, but that also talks about the type of player he is. So if he's going to score touchdowns at a high rate with an accurate thrower like Drew Brees and also have big play making ability, which leads to his high yards per reception number, like, what more do you look for in a tight end? Good offense, good quarterback, a big play threat, and a guy who's targeted in the red zone. I just think like the numbers added up to a phenomenal second half season for Jared Cook, and I think we see that translate into this year. Yeah, I could I could easily be wrong on Jared Cook. My worries, not really worries, but my my thought process is we haven't seen the Saints have any sort of 
consistent reliability at the wide receiver two position in a long time. Mm-hmm. So if Emmanuel Sanders gives him any sort of semblance of that, I think Jared Cook could could um, see his numbers drop. And the Saints running backs, they didn't they, their touchdowns were well below what they usually are in New Orleans. Um, but like Jared Cook kind of just does fit this offense really well. And yeah, like he has not been a a huge touchdown scorer for most of his career. But I think that also doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's incredibly, incredibly um, you know explosive. So. I'm. I've been so Derek really is the is the main reason I keep drafting Irv Smith. Okay. I he, he said he he's told he's told me he this is this year's Dallas Goddard, but he could even have potentially you know more production than Goddard because they Stephon Diggs has nearly 100 targets they need replacing. Justin Jefferson looks great. I like Justin Jefferson, but he's not going to come in and command a bunch of targets. I also think the Vikings are going to throw the ball a lot more than people think. Um, they, they lost, their secondary is already a question mark other than their safeties. They lost guys. They lost Michael Pierce who opted out on their D line and Irv Smith. We already saw a report that they're experimenting, experimenting, using him out wide, which is huge because Kyle Rudolph is still there. If he can play out wide, that would be massive for them. And it's not too shocking to think that they could do that because who do they have a receiver outside of Theon and Jefferson? It's, it's old Mm -hmm. BC Johnson. It's, you know, Chad Beebe. It's, uh, uh, Tajay Sharp, like th- there's there's like a huge hole there. Um, so I really really like getting Irv Smith as like you said, if you're gonna take two tight ends, I love getting Irv Smith as my second tight end. And we saw in the second half when Thielen went down, when they just had Diggs, Kyle Rudolph was m- more the blocking tight end, which he kind of is anyway. And Irv Smith was playing in the slot and he was running more routes than Kyle Rudolph. So it's not it's not a stretch to say he runs more routes than him through the entire season here in 2020. So I, you know, it's it's mainly Derek's fault, but I really do love Irv Smith. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard for me to get on board with Irv Smith just because it's like a mental block. It's like, I don't I don't want a tight end that's splitting snaps when we could just get one that's like a full-time player. But yeah, the athleticism, you know, lends itself to Irv. He, he's a guy that I can fully acknowledge I'll, I'll likely be wrong on if I pass him, and I'm probably okay with that. Minnesota's another team that like... <sighs> I don't know, like Kirk, I'm really, I think I'm just completely fading Kirk this year in fantasy because, I mean, Stefan Diggs was such a valuable piece of the fantasy output that Kirk produced just on like the deep balls and the touchdowns and stuff. Now it's just like Thielen, he's just going to be forcing every ball to Thielen, which could lead to a lot more volume with Irv Smith. And like the argument I've heard a lot of is just like, well, the Vikings ran two tight end sets more than any team in the league, but also that's still only like 35% of the time. So Mm -hmm. you're telling me that, he's going to be on the field for 35% of the snaps and then maybe take over 20 to 25% of, of Kyle Rudolph's like, he's still not on the field that often. And, you know, we've seen examples like Mark Andrews where you don't really need to be on the field for 60%, 70, 80% of the plays, as long as you're on the plays where they're running pass routes and you're dropping back and things like that, which could absolutely be the case for, for Irv Smith. I just, there's like a mental roadblock there that I can't get past drafting Irv Smith just because Kyle Rudolph is still sitting there. Yeah, it's definitely fair. I mean, if Kyle Rudolph was in, on the team, Irv Smith would probably be going around like, you know, Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, Jared Cook type range. But Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, any other tight ends? I, I will mention, I kind of have been getting getting higher on Jonu Smith because the Titans threw the ball at one of the lowest rates we've seen over the last five or six years. I know that's still going to be their identity to run the ball, but they can't throw the ball as little as they did last year. And... Everybody loves AJ Brown, and I, I, you know, it's hard not to. He's he's awesome, but this is a really concentrated passing offense. If they throw the ball more, it's 
Yeah. It's John U. Smith and it's AJ Brown and you know it's some Corey Davis at times. And John U. Smith's a guy they they ran they developed and designed screens for. He's crazy good after the catch. Um, and now he gets the full season as the clear guy. I mean, Delaney Walker wasn't there all last year, but you know John U. Smith wasn't going into the season knowing he's the top guy. I think that'll change. Um, another really athletic player. I, I like. I'm I'm getting getting more and more interested in John U. Smith as the season as the off season goes on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, too. He's one of those guys that I'll definitely try to double tap on with tight ends. Like you said, there's just no competition for targets there. I almost think if you look at Jonu and Irv Smith, it's like Jonu Smith. Uh, yeah, Jonu Smith, Irv Smith. They're in very similar situations, except if you like hit the upgrade button on everything for Irv Smith, you get the old veteran tight end out of the way. You have even fewer weapons. You're in a run-heavy uh, offense, but you're... You're, we know Jonu Smith is pretty much going to be the number two target there. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to be on the field all the time. So you're are you know you're risking the fact that Tennessee might run the ball at a clip of like 55 percent of their plays, which is terrible in today's NFL, which is a much more pass heavy offense. You know, much more efficient. But like, there's a really 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 clear path to him being the number two target right behind AJ Brown, whereas it's very muddled for an Irv Smith. So if they're, if them two are going near each other, I just think that like Jonu Smith's path to being relevant. Yeah, this I, year, I do prefer Jonu and like, yeah. they also don't have any semblance of a passing game to the running backs. So it's just, it's going to be like, if Tannehill throws 25 passes a game, like you got to think like, like six of them have to go to Jonu. Well, right? yeah, and I was just going to say, year, I was going to say like 16 of them combined are going to Jonu and AJ Brown probably. Yeah. So at the end of the year, like even if it's just six, right, like that mm-hmm. paced over 16 games is almost 100 targets. And like that's really good for that, a tight end, especially in right. a run heavy offense. Yeah. If you're telling me a guy with his yak ability and his just at pure athleticism and game breaking ability is going to get 100 targets, like easily top eight fancy tight end on the year. Anybody else a tight end before we get out of here? Uh, the Hawkinson quote kind of made me a little yeah. nervous about his foot, him telling us that he's, I, I've heard conflicting reports because everyone keeps tweeting out that he said he was less than hundred percent. And then people are like, if you read the quote, he said he is a hundred percent, but like mentally he's not a hundred percent. So I don't know about TJ Hawkinson, but if, if he's healthy, then he's a guy that I definitely like to target as a second year, uh, as a second year breakout candidate. But other than that, not, not too much intriguing later than Jonu or Irv. Cool. Nicholas, thank you for coming on, my friend. Appreciate it. Adam, you're welcome, my friend. (laughs) Uh, One one more time, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and all that great stuff uh, that you're doing over on the YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, one, thank you for having me. As as always, it's a blast. We get into the grit here on these podcasts, so um, that was was a good time, as always. And y'all can find me on YouTube, Nick Ercolano. It's E-R-C-O-L-A-N-O, and then on Twitter, at Nick underscore B-D-G-E. Stands for Big Dogs Gotta Eat, and I hope y'all uh, hope y'all ate today. Yeah, I actually didn't, so I'm probably going to do that right after we get off <laughs> I, this. But I literally didn't either. <laughs> uh, Friday, Derek will be back, hopefully. Hopefully he's feeling better. I think we're going to have Sigmund Bloom on to talk about some training camp news and, and some hype and if we're buying it and injuries and all that good stuff to close out the week. So appreciate everybody listening. Uh, Have a great Thursday, have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you guys soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.